Welcome to Let's Talk Agriculture. In this podcast, Adam White, Head of Agriculture for Barclays UK, chats with Caroline Doyle, an Agricultural Relationship Director in Northern Ireland, and James Milne, Agricultural Regional Manager covering the Eastern and Southeastern area, about some of the most important topics affecting the UK agriculture sector today. Here's Adam. Hello and welcome to our latest Let's Talk Business podcast. Welcome back after our short break over the summer and harvest period. You'll also notice that Oliver McIntyre has kindly asked me to fill in for him for a few months hosting the podcast. I'm Adam White, the Head of Agriculture for Barclays UK, and I'm delighted to be here. And I have two of my colleagues with me today to help us discuss everything going on in the agricultural sector at the moment and pull out some advice and best practice. So firstly, I'd like to welcome Caroline Doyle. Hi, Caroline. Can I ask you to give our listeners a bit of an introduction? Hello, Adam, and thank you for asking me to be part of this today. I'm an Agricultural Relationship Director in Northern Ireland, and I primarily work with dairy and livestock farmers based in Northern Ireland. Excellent. Caroline, welcome to the podcast, and we will definitely touch on what is happening in Northern Irish agriculture at the moment during the podcast And on the other side of the country, we have James Milne with us. James, can you tell us about your role? Yeah. Hi, Adam. I'm Agricultural Regional Manager over in the East. So I'm part of an agricultural team covering Essex down to Kent and everywhere in between. Given the geography, the location, we're predominantly arable. Thanks, James, and welcome. So we have a good balance from across the UK today, and we have lots of areas to cover that all of us are talking to farmers about. But I'd like to start by talking about the market impacts of the war in Ukraine. Ukraine and Russia were responsible for a huge amount of grain exports worldwide. Having seen the Ukrainian farmers awarded the Farming Champion Award last week, and hearing the amazing Andre Dukin talk about the real impacts for farmers in Ukraine, this is likely to be a longer lasting situation. On top of this, we saw heat waves across Europe, India and China this year, which has impacted on yields. But alongside all of that, we've seen an exponential growth in fertiliser costs. So whilst food prices have risen on supermarket shelves, this is very much being driven by increased costs to farmers. So, Caroline, if I can come to you, how are your customers that you talk to finding this, particularly in the dairy sector? Yeah, so... Dairy farmers, like other livestock farmers, are seeing price increases in feed, fuel, fertiliser and now finance with the rise in base rate. With regards to feed, while the the quantity of silage has been above average, the quality in some areas has been affected due to the difficult weather conditions around the first cut. Farmers will need to feed more, mainly to achieve similar levels of performance to previous years. We have seen milk price increase over the past few months and remains a strong milk price per litre, which will help with those rising costs. However, I would strongly encourage farmers to plan ahead for winter feeding and feed efficiently by not overfeeding steel cows. Excellent. That's, that's good advice. And that's, um, yeah, I think that sort of ties the two inputs and outputs together for some farmers. Um, James, are you hearing from customers in the Arable East anything different? Thanks, Adam. I guess what we are seeing post-harvest this year, pretty positive. I think overall cereal production in England has increased by nearly 9.5%. This is up to 21 million tonnes. A really good year for wheat. So this is up 12.2% at 14.4 million tonnes. 
uh, the southeast actually our region here has had the largest increase in production which has been up 23% on last year highest yields for wheat has been achieved in the northeast which has been averaging 9.1 tons per hectare barley so another good year for barley provisionally uh, the barley harvest is showing it's up 6.6% on last year at 5.2 million tons and we saw oat production fall 8% this year, which is mainly down to a uh, 12% decrease in the area, but it was a pretty good good yield on oats. And finally, oilseed rate. This is probably had the best of the of the bunch, really. So we've seen this up 43% on last year to 1.2 million tons, both by a 20% increase in area, but also a 19% increase in yield. So some real positive numbers there in terms of, of this year's harvest. But despite all of this, I think it's we still have uncertainty around future prices, both inputs and outputs. And this remains. And I think some of the challenges that you've already mentioned, Adam, on this podcast, that I think this is likely to remain until some of these challenges are resolved. This on top of Elms, which we know is still we still have questions that many of our, our farmers are facing and trying to answer as they move forward. So pretty positive but challenges ahead. Thanks, James. And spoken like a true banker, you've really got to the numbers there, which is um, which is which good to hear. And it actually paints a positive picture in terms of production. So going back to your point on Elms, we saw a few weeks ago that there were plans to revisit Elms. Um, there's been some reassurance from DEFRA around what that could look like. I know when I've spoken to farmers and estate owners, there's, there's a mixed opinion on Elms in England. And understanding what it could mean for that business. How are you seeing customers deal with that uncertainty? Yeah, I, it's a good point. I, I do think it is still mixed. But what I am seeing is a, is more of a consistency and a desire to actually understand the scheme, So, which is really positive. We're seeing many of, of our farmers talk to professionals just to understand how Elms will work for them and their business. And also then allowing them to adapt future plans and adapt accordingly to really benefit from from elms and, and future production on their farm so this could be through sort of standard diversification but some are looking at sort of nature friendly schemes and some of the future financial benefits that, that this could offer okay and what, um, so what does that look like so i guess more recently Consultation on biodiversity net gain within our region, uh, particularly like Cambridge, as an example, we're seeing some real good demand for biodiversity net gain credits. Also, we're seeing opportunities for nitrate offsets in certain areas as well. So it all really depends on whereabouts you're based, what type of farm and what opportunities you can get from the land in and around where you're based. Excellent. And I, and I think one of the things that we often talk about is food security and food production. And, and looking back on the numbers you've just quoted around sort of increase in production, we're certainly not seeing those schemes at the moment reduce our levels of production, which is which is great news. So that's really useful. Thanks, James. And, and Caroline, with the uncertainty about future prices, what, what kind of conversations are you having with customers on, on planning for that? I think the key starting point for farmers planning ahead is to work through a cash flow budget that will cover the next six months. This really doesn't have to be anything fancy, a fancy document produced by your accountant. This is a simple exercise recording the monies going in and out of your business. Once you have this information, you can then plan for the best and worst case scenarios. 
For example, play about with the costs or the sales by dropping the milk price, say by five pence per litre, to see the impact this has on your business. So in other words, stress test your business. Equipped with this information, farmers can then sit down with their bank and work through a suitable finance plan. The earlier, the better, so that they give the bank then can get the right facilities in place. Cash flow forecasts are not just for the bank, but can be a really good key decision-making tool for your business. Just recently, I had a meeting with a customer who was trying to work out whether he could afford to forward buy fertilizer. So we went through the bank statements and recorded the monthly outgoings and the sales to calculate if there were surplus monies to allow him to make this decision. Brilliant. And I, and, I, and I really like the fact I've got two bankers on this call because we've already talked about looking at production. We've looked at planning ahead and we've looked at diversification. And I think there's three three really key themes that certainly all of us are talking to customers about at the moment and making sure that they're planning ahead. That's brilliant advice. Thank you. James, coming back to you, we've, we've touched on Elms in England, but how are you seeing farmers plan to achieve net zero? Are you starting to see any actions already? It's something that I know a lot of farmers are talking about, the sector and suppliers are talking about, but are you seeing anything practically happening? Yeah, we're seeing lots of great examples actually, Adam. And I think what's really interesting is that these actions are, are all being driven by a variety of different reasons. We're seeing supply chain pressures, which sort of demanding a reduction in emissions from our clients. We're also seeing customer demand. So the markets that our clients are selling into, the customers are becoming increasingly aware of the impacts of food production. It's really making the farmers think about that food production and how they're supporting the environment. And also Elms, as we know, part of Elms is really to drive down and work with that, that plan to achieve net zero. So I think actually practically what we're starting to see and some of the actions that we're seeing more consistently so for our arable farmers, we're seeing reduced cultivation. So direct drill, for example, this helps reduce fuel costs. Where fertilizer is being used, it's being reduced. And actually where it still needs to be used, many of our farmers are using GPS to really pinpoint and be accurate of when, as and when it's needed. We're seeing cereal crops being sent direct to the bakers and even milling on farms to reduce, again, that uh, the carbon footprint there. But I think the focus for many of our farmers is to really improve the soil organic matter on their farm. The research has consistently shown that this is having the greatest impact on carbon offsetting. So that's where the real focus is, is at the moment. I think for our dairy farmers, some of the more common actions that we're seeing, animal health, so that livestock performance and productivity, potentially reducing livestock, but with the same outputs, Soil and grassland management. So again, coming back to that soil organic matter, reducing fertilizer usage, potentially by planting alternate forage. So to encourage nitrates, for example, clover is what we're, we're seeing. And then renew, renewable energies and that fuel efficiency. So there's some of the practical examples we're seeing right across the board. That's brilliant. And I think I think that that's, that's really good to hear those actions that we're, we're seeing on the ground and linking it back to the previous points we've talked to in terms of planning ahead and costs and production. What, what's really interesting is that list of actions you've talked about, every single one of those can have an impact on the financial bottom line. So if you can reduce inputs, it's also going to reduce costs. And I think that's probably one of the things that certainly I've been talking to customers about over the last six months, maybe, which is that if you've got carbon that's leaving the farm, 
actually, if you imagine it's money leaving the farm, it suddenly becomes a very, very different conversation. And how would you how would you reduce that? So I think one of the things certainly I, I talk to every single customer I, I, I meet with is that if you can reduce carbon, you can reduce cost. It's a financial benefit to doing it. So I think that's really good to see that in practice. So I think moving on to that and thinking forward to what our customers are planning for for the future, what they're looking to in terms of technologies, we're seeing due to supply chains that there's delays on equipment being available for delivery. I spoke to a customer this week who's potentially waiting eight months for solar panels to be installed. And this in turn means that the secondhand market, particularly for farm machinery, has seen price increases. But there's a number of grants available for productivity recently. DEFRA and a number of the other devolved governments have got grants available for farms, meaning that technology is becoming more financially a viable option. Caroline, are you, are you seeing examples of this with your customers? Yeah, we actually are. As you say, there's a number of grants available at present across the UK to help support smaller scale investments to improve the sustainability on the farm. Actually, in Northern Ireland at present, the fourth trench of Tier 1 of the Farm Business Improvement Scheme is open to support increased costs of feed, fuel and fertiliser. I've seen an increased number of applications for equipment to help improve grassland management, silage quality and feed efficiency, such as dribble bars and auto ID. Your local farm advisor will help point you in the right direction to help apply for these. That's great advice. And, and I think that really ties together in terms of what James is seeing as well in that focus on, on inputs and productivity. We'd be remiss if we didn't cover the question of energy costs as well, which all consumers and businesses in all sectors are experiencing. But I certainly see much more reliance and practical application of renewables in the agricultural sector. And that doesn't necessarily have to be solar farms. That's solar on, on roofs, solar on available storage units. James, are you seeing change in demand with solar? Are you seeing customers asking more about it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, we've been seeing this probably over the last sort of 24 months that just an increasing conversation, people being more aware of what's available to them on their farm. And I think when you look at it, in some cases, we've seen a threefold increase in energy bills. Solar specifically can play a big part in this. I think it's estimated that 25% of energy requirements can actually be met by solar alone, which will, of course, will go a long way as, in addition to this to help achieve the net zero goals. So you've already mentioned, Adam, on the roofs, many of our farm buildings really lend themselves to solar, often being easy to access, large roof spaces, etc. I think it's also worth noting though, some of the challenges that we've seen of late with solar specifically, maybe actually getting solar to the farm and actually installed and actually working and implemented a lot of different reasons feeding into this but i suppose my advice would just be have the early conversation speak to your your local advisor really get engaged with them about that that lag in terms of actually talking about it and getting it practically working on your farm and and caroline are you saying the same in northern ireland yeah, funny, just like GM said, there's been over the past few months, I have received a high level of calls from customers wanting to know more about financing solar panels with battery storage on the farm buildings, as well as water turbines, if they have a, a water source on the farm. With on-farm energies, as you both mentioned, they're hitting record levels. Farmers are taking a different look at how renewables could be introduced to their farms and have a more focus on becoming self-sufficient. Thanks, Caroline. So before we sign off, 
it'd be good to touch on interest rates. We've seen the Bank of England base rate increase from 0.5% in February of this year to 2.25% in September. I know a number of our customers have this on their mind when they're looking to the future. So, so James, I'll come to you first. What are your thoughts on where rates could go? Wow, if I knew that, Adam, I'd probably be a millionaire. But uh... you wouldn't be—you wouldn't be working for me. Absolutely not. No, so. <laughs> no, no, you're right. So uh, it's it's really difficult to see and and actually predict where they're going to be. Of course, and everybody's situation is different. So I don't think I could specifically say where they're going to end up. But what I would say is, everybody, just look at the fixed rates. Consider how those repayment plans would match your affordability. Have a think about the different options. Look at fixed, look at the variable rates. Would a fixed rate provide a bit more certainty? And there's also flexibility. So we do offer the the ability to actually variable rate can be changed midterm over to a fixed rate as well, just to give that flexibility. So uncertain times, but as again, I said earlier, speak to uh, your advisors, speak to your, uh, your partners. And the earlier that we can consider these changes, the better. Thanks, James. And yeah, I was, I was being a bit cheeky there by asking you that. So thank you. Thank you for covering well. So that's unfortunately all we have time for on today's podcast. If I just touch on really some of the areas that we've, we've covered, we've talked through the areas that are on farmers' minds, which is the cost of inputs, the cost of outputs. We've talked about productivity. We've talked about making sure that diversification is, is looked at and planning ahead. I think with all of this, that sounds like the key message for me is planning ahead looking at what's potentially in the future. And you can never always guess that. But I really like your point, Caroline, that this isn't about pulling together a really nice looking spreadsheet. It's about having a cash flow that's as realistic as it possibly can be and looking forward at everything. And I think that point around the net zero opportunities and some of the examples both of you have talked through, it is an opportunity for customers to look at reducing inputs whilst at the same time having a positive benefit on net zero, which is a huge focus for everybody in the agricultural supply chain. So I'd like to thank Caroline and James for your insights today. It's really been an education and we've covered lots of topics. So thank you. And so for the rest of this year, we'll be looking to explore sustainability tools for farmers. And we'll be back soon with even more podcasts and even more guests. So thanks for your time. Thank you, Adam. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and you'll receive a notification when we release the next episode, when we'll take a closer look at another topic facing UK farm businesses and landowners. All of the Let's Talk Agriculture podcasts are available to listen to or download from the Barclays Let's Talk Business channel on Spotify, Apple and SoundCloud. Make money work for you. Now for the legal stuff. We promise to keep it short. We're not responsible for, nor do we endorse in any way, third-party websites or their content. The views and opinions expressed in this content do not reflect the views of Barclays and shouldn't be taken as statements of policy or intent of Barclays.